0: Viewing life from a hearse
1: It could be worse Laugh, think, and cry With the Country Undertaker
0: On 7 Here's the pitch by Downing Swinging There's a drive into left center field That ball is gonna be Out of here 715, there's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Henry Aaron is coming around third. His teammates are at home plate, and listen to this crowd. This salad so crowd is cheering Henry Aaron, the home run king of all time. 715. My first love in the sports arena was baseball. I ended up being an all-sports fan, but it all started with baseball. I was fortunate to play baseball in an organized league in our little town, beginning at eight years old. Since the league consisted of kids between the ages of eight to 12, I learned to play against people older and better than me. Through that very tough competition at first and a few tears, I learned to appreciate the game of baseball. Back in those days, we only got three channels on our TV. The TVs were small and mostly black and white. Sometimes the horizontal knob would have to be adjusted to keep the tube from rolling. And there were other times we would have to go outside to point the antenna in a different direction to get better reception. The only time a game was televised during the season was on the game of the week on Saturday afternoon. The Yankees were on almost every week, playing other American League teams. I became a Yankees fan, as did most of my friends. Names like Mantle and Maris and Boyer and Scourin and Howard and Barron, and Richardson, Trash and Kubek were household names and real heroes to us. The World Series each year was also a big deal. A very big deal. The games were played in the daytime. In school, they would roll a TV on a st- out on a stand to our room in the afternoon so we could all watch it. It was during those World Series games and collecting baseball cards that we got to know most of the players in the National League. But make no mistake, I was a diehard Yankees fan. Then something happened. The Milwaukee Braves moved to Atlanta in 1966. At the beginning, I was glad they were there, but I still loved the Yankees. At some point during that first year, my parents took us to a Braves game in Atlanta. My world changed that day. Now I could see in person what I'd only seen through a little static TV before. Real Major League Baseball players playing the game of baseball. I was fortunate to go to several games in Atlanta those first years after the Braves came to town. As I got older, I would go to many. When my sister lived in Atlanta, my mama would drop me and a friend off at Atlanta Stadium for a doubleheader. We'd be in the stadium all afternoon and had a specific place to meet her when the game was over. That did not end when I became an adult. I later shared season tickets with a few friends for several years. Obviously, the Yankees took a back seat, and I became a huge Braves fan. With that, I also became a huge Hank Aaron fan. Some of the younger folks probably don't know how good he really was. He was what they call a 5-2 player. He could hit for average, hit homers, he had incredible arm, he was a defensive star, and he was fast. He did it all. It was worth it just to see him play. I can still see him throw a ball on a line from right field to the plate. At the plate, he seemingly just flicked the ball with his wrist, and it would fly out of the stadium. Just to add a little flavor, Aaron was not just a home run hitter. Aaron holds the Major League Baseball record for most career RBIs, 2,297, extra base hits, 1,477, and total bases, 6,856. He is also in the top five for career hits, 3,771, and run scored, 2,174. He is only a f- one of four players to have at least 17 seasons with 150 or more hits. Hank also had a 305 lifetime batting average. This guy could play. When the season began in 1974, Hank was very close to a record many thought would never be broken. Aaron had finished the 1973 season just one home run short of Babe Ruth's career record. He hit home run number 713 on September 29, 1973, and with one day remaining in the season, many expected him to tie the record. But in his final game that year, playing against the Astros, led by manager Leo Rocher, who had once roomed with Babe Ruth, he was unable to hit one out of the park. Over the winter, Hank Aaron received many death threats and a large assortment of hate mail. Some did not want to see a black man break Babe Ruth's record. The truth is, I was aware all that was going on, but all my friends were pulling for Hank Aaron to break Babe Ruth's record, and trust me, so was I. Even Babe Ruth's widow said the Babe would have been cheering for Hank Aaron. Aaron tied Babe Ruth's record in Cincinnati during the Braves' first series in 1974. The Braves' management had planned on holding Hank out of the lineup in Cincinnati because they wanted him to break the record in Atlanta. The commissioner ruled that he had to play at least two of the three games. On April the 8th of that year, I was ending up my second year at the University of Georgia. A group of us at the Lambda Chi house decided on a Sunday night that we would go to Atlanta to the game the next day and try to get tickets. It was the first home game of the year, and we obviously had no way of knowing if he would hit the home run or not. But we were in the stands on that magical and historic night. In the bottom of the fourth inning, Hank Aaron hit a shot off Al Downing over the fence to left center field. Everybody in that stadium went nuts. It was one of the greatest moments in sports. I have always been very proud that I was at that game that night. Today, I have a special guest and an old friend joining me. He was also at the game, but he saw it from a different perspective than anyone else. His life would never be the same. In fact, Cliff Courtney and his buddy, Britt Gaston, ended up right there with the great Hank Aaron in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Cliff Courtney is with us today, and he has a very interesting story. He's doing this as a favor to me. Cliff and I were fraternity brothers at the University of Georgia back so many years ago that we can't even remember the details of much of any of it. Uh, but Cliff is from Waycross Cliff, can you hear
1: me? Are you on? Loud and clear. I'm here on the uh, beautiful coast of Georgia as far southeast in Georgia as is possible. and the sun is shining. it's a little chilly, but it's a beautiful day.
0: I, I do thank you for for doing this. I thank you I think people are going to find out that you have a very unique perspective on one of the greatest sporting events that ever took place in the world when Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's record. I think people are going to find that very interesting. So let's talk about a little bit about you grew up in Waycross, right?
1: Yes, I was born in Jacksonville, Florida, and at age three moved to Waycross, uh, as I like to joke, in search of work, and my family joined me uh, shortly after. But uh, closer to the truth <laughs> is, is, is my uh, My sister, I have one sibling, a sister, and my mother and father moved. So, um, yeah, that was about uh,
0: 59. Right. But anyway, you grew up in Waycross, and you had a buddy down there by the name of Britt Gaston. I guess you probably grew up with him as well, right?
1: No, actually, Britt uh, and his family moved from Memphis, Tennessee, and that was probably around, I'm guessing, grade nine. We were in a small private school, and the definition of an athlete at this school is if you could walk and shoot gum. So most of us were athletes. Um, well, I grew up in the same kind of small town environment. I can promise you that. There was a, you know, Waycross High and then Ware County High, um, which are, you know, considerably bigger, but I had 12 in my graduating class, if that tells you anything. So. Oh, wow. Well, that so may which, contribute to this story. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, well, we we hit it off pretty much. You know, he was the the new kid on the block, and sometimes that can be a uh, you know a stress stressful situation. We ended up um, just kind of connecting. We just hit it off and became, uh, as they say in the South, running buddies.
0: So I we remember were, first meeting you at the Lambda Chi house at the University of Georgia, and I know uh, you were. Few years below me, I may have moved had moved out of the house when you moved in the house. I think I remember you well, and we became fraternity brothers. Uh, The the thing about being a fraternity brother at the University of Georgia, or being in a fraternity at the University of Georgia, it doesn't matter if you're the same year. If you're in the same general years, you know a lot of the same people. You the names that come up, people remember them up and down. And I had lunched the other day with four fraternity brothers that were more your age, most of them than mine, but it's amazing how many people we all know. I mean, you you 120, 150 people that we all know, so it was a very neat time, and you had a buddy that was a little older that was already in the fraternity house named Doug Lee, who was my good friend in, in Athens, and I know I met you through him, and I think probably you came into fraternity through him, and I'm sure he had me as a little bit older than him, pushing you to become a fraternity brother.
1: Yes, uh, that's my recollection as well.
0: Yeah. So then you graduated and you became an eye doctor, right?
1: Yeah. Um, and again, a- as happened so many times in our lives where we we are influenced by others, um, hopefully in mostly positive ways. But uh, in this case, I I met Uh, a couple of people came to know them one of them I'd known for a while who uh, were doing that and kind of got me interested in it and but but really that wasn't the direction I was heading in I was I was direct actually um, like a lot of young people in college thinking of different options you know and what am I going to do with my life that kind of stuff and some have a very specific direction others don't but I was, headed, um, in, I was interested in, in biopsychology and uh, was uh, hanging out with some PhD candidates and, and entertaining thought of going in that direction. But these other people kind of influenced me because I had, did have an interest in eyes and vision. So I ended up going in that direction and spent four years in Memphis and then uh, training. And then one year in Atlanta at a referral center where we saw patients that were referred by other doctors exclusively. So we didn't see the general population that was strictly figuring out problems. And we had a lot of equipment and some doctors with very good expertise uh, as our mentors and trainers. So I so did that. You, um, you
0: ended up practicing in Valdosta. Is that right?
1: Well, I ended up uh, in, in Atlanta. I was invited to stay on staff, uh, which I did for about a year. And these clinics that were referral practices, in other words, they weren't open to the public, they were just by referral only. Uh, I ended up almost going to New Orleans and then ended up going to Tucson. I ended up there and practiced there uh, in that capacity for a few years. And uh, then we had a uh, baby. And you come to the point in life where you think, you know, do I want my kids to know their grandparents and all? So my folks were in Marietta or Mayretta, as as some would say. Mm -hmm. And my wife's folks were in Iowa, Des Moines, which is where she's from. And they also had a place in Florida and they flew a plane. So after another long story, uh, we ended up in Valdosta. And so it was perfect. When they flew from Iowa to Florida, they would plop down sometimes and come to visit. And we were closer to family. So it was one of those life decisions where you just say, you know, you either do it or you don't. And we made a decision to come back. And also, I kind of wanted to get back into more uh, family instead of being specific in in my my scope of practice to be more uh, broad and to see families establish relationships and see a broader range of of people and conditions and that sort of thing so yeah, it was kind of a fit and we spent a quarter of a century in Valdosta which uh is uh, you know how it is when you get to be older you look back and you go wow that went fast well um, you had a great
0: career and I, I think I somebody said that you had several practices going on several well, we places. had a,
1: a, an office that was a pretty good size office pretty good size staff had a um ambulatory surgical center, um, you know, just just different things going on. I did for a period of time do some outreach clinics uh, in underserved areas, uh, which was difficult logistically because we require a lot of equipment and all of that. And I worked at the hospital in Homerville for a while and doing a clinic there and Lake Park, the south of, of Aldosta, but eventually it got to be just too much running around, and I, I just uh, was suffering for it. Sure. I, I laughingly referred to my little old lady patients who I love dearly, and they would look after me and say, You're working too hard, Dr. Courtney, you need to slow down. And of course, I didn't listen to them, but eventually I did. And we kind of consolidated, and uh, everything was more manageable. Yeah. But yeah, it was good. It was good for us because we had a, another child, a son. And we, and we have two sons. You had a great career there, and you retired when? About five years ago. And I, you know, and the practice of healthcare is not quite as much fun as it used to be in certain respects with the intrusion of businesses and government and all this sort of stuff. So I've heard that 60, many times from doctors. Yeah, 60 sure. is a nice, uh, it's a nice even number. So right. we kind of got our ducks in a row and I sold out uh, practice building. I mean, we got rid of everything and looked around to see what we wanted to do next. So yeah, it was about five years ago. Wow.
0: Yeah. And so you're enjoying life on the East coast. You're out there somewhere east of St. Mary's or yeah, uh, we've, Cumberland we've
1: Island. Been different places. We've, we've been around the block a little bit and, uh, had property in Florida and this and that. And we, we finally were thinking, okay, so where do we want to live? Because it's nice to be in exotic places and all, but, uh, <laughs> Where's an airport? Where's a hospital? You know, those types of practical right. considerations. We live literally, I'm looking out the window now, Bruce, and I'm looking at Florida. So we, we live on the map of Georgia. If you look southeast at St. Mary's, we're actually between St. Mary's and Cumberland Island. So we're on a marine peninsula. Wow. So it's extreme southeast Georgia, as we said. Well, good for you. It's, it's
0: great to catch up with you, you know, when you, you're friends for a period of time in a long life. And just for a short window and to get just get caught up on all that's
1: amazing. But so let's
0: go back and talk about what have you been a baseball fan your whole life? Were you growing up I'm watching
1: a fair weather fan? You know, I have a, a history, um, a, a personal history in, in baseball that I, I actually played in two games. <laughs> <laughs> OK, that's all right. Uh, my a quick, quick aside, my friend Britt, uh, who was a catcher on our baseball team, We uh, used to just mess around in a small town. We didn't have a lot to do. So we would just throw balls or do whatever. And we were throwing in his yard one day. And he said, wow, you've got some weird stuff. You ought to come talk to the coach. And it turns out all I had was heat. I could throw it very fast and very hard. I didn't know anything about pitching. So we went and uh, did a little workout. And uh, I was playing golf at the time. So at the end of the season, the baseball team was still playing. So the coach said, well, come on out. And I went out. And uh, one of our pitchers was up like six to nothing in the game. And he decided I should go in. And um, I, w- I wish I had a visual of this, but Brett signals to me, I didn't know anything about pitching. I didn't even know a mound was actually a mound and his, he right. would point, he would put his mitt in a position and point to it. And that was where I was supposed to throw the ball. So that was the, the, the signals and I threw heat and and we got out of it. Well, that was the end of the season and we had a, some region playoff or something. I don't know what it was. And, we went to wherever we had to play and I warmed up from about 20 feet throwing with this guy. And then when I got on the mound, it looked like a mile. I I think it's like 60 feet or something like that, but everything was distorted and there were people in the stands and I was like, what am I doing here? So I found out that if you throw it really hard, there are people who can hit it really hard. And there was a fellow, I remember, I think they, they detected the ball with a satellite somewhere. I mean, he hit it so far. I don't think they ever found the ball. And and you probably know this what a squeeze play is. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, I didn't know a squeeze play from squeezing a lemon, <laughs> and I was on the mound of this guy. I just running, the guy's work. coming from third. Yeah. Well, he just started running. I thought well, that cheating son of a. You know, so I <laughs> I, I tried to uh, nail him with the ball, and that precipitated what you can imagine to be uh, some chaos. And <laughs> at that point, that was the end of my uh, career. And the coach pulled me out and said, "Good job, Cliff."
0: That's the one. Believe April of 1974, Hank Aaron was chasing Babe Ruth's record, and you guys, you and Britt, found yourselves at that game. How did that come about? How did you end up going to that ball game that night?
1: Well, that's a little bit of the fuzzy part. We were going around trying to look at schools and that sort of stuff. You 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 were a senior in high school, right? Yeah. So we ended up in – Athens, I believe Brits, one of his grandmother lived in Atlanta and a friend of ours, Doug was with us actually. Yep. And another guy named Gil Gibson, who I believe had the tickets. I'm not sure about that. I think he did. And I didn't pay a lot of attention to it, but you know, with all the chatter going on and, and, um, uh, the alleged manipulation of Hank's schedule <clears throat> and where he would be when he hit the home run and all that, that's another story, but yep. we ended up at the game above first base about midway up in the stand so it wasn't exactly you know close but we all sat together and watched it and of course there was a lot of excitement about you know here he is here he is and that sort of stuff I believe there were uh, you probably know better than I do but there were um, almost 54,000 people I believe it was a capacity crowd yeah it it
0: was the biggest crowd ever at Fulton County Stadium that I read Um, that yeah
1: you know it I don't remember all the specifics but I think it was the um, the fourth inning.
0: Yep, I think you're right. Fourth inning. Had you guys talked about you're going to do something crazy at this game or did you just uh, – Well, just- we, we
1: talked, but we we kind of got there just – we didn't really get there on time is my memory. And uh, there, apparently there was some announcement about any shenanigans and this and that and the other some morning, but I don't think we heard any of that. Uh, I don't remember it, um, but, but I think we got there a little bit late we talked about just kidding, but one of the guys with us, we, you know, I think it was Gil. We were, we were teasing him about, you know uh, we know, Hank Aaron and all that stuff. And, and he called us some names as he did. (laughs) And so we, we said, we'll, we'll we'll just go and say hi. And so we started walking down towards the field kind of slowly down the steps and well, what are we going to do? I don't know. Aaron came up. And so we kind of like down in front, we didn't want to, so we kind of crouched down and, and he hit the ball and we, hell, we just ran, you know, and, and, you know, I can understand how people would say, gosh, what a terrible thing to do. I I completely get that. And, but there was no malice intended. It was Uh strictly excitement uh, and adrenaline at that point.
0: So just to feel everybody can be clear, you're talking to, if you, if you baseball fans will know this, if you've ever seen a clip of Hank Aaron's 715th home run when he broke Babe Ruth's record on April the 8th, 1974. Two guys ran around the bases with Hank Aaron. And I've been at Cooperstown several times. I've got a picture of me standing in a a wall-sized picture of Hank Aaron and two guys running around the bases. One of those was Britt Gaston, who passed away a few years ago and Cliff Courtney's friend, and the other was Cliff Courtney. And so you, we're talking to the guy who ran around the bases with Hank Aaron when he broke Babe Ruth's record. You can Google it, watch any video of Hank Aaron hitting that home run. You're going to see Cliff and Britt in that picture. So to give me give you a little background from my perspective. There were six of us that left, left the Lambda Kai house that Monday morning. I think that was a Monday. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but it seems like it was. And we left. Let's we said, we said, let's go try to get tickets to this game, Hank. And you're right, they had held him out a day, a game or two in Cincinnati because they wanted him to hit the home run in Atlanta. And I think the commissioner of baseball got involved in all that. So it was yep. a little bit of manipulation of a schedule, but it was the first home game of the season. So everybody was going. We stood in line in the morning. It was cold. If you remember, Cliff, it was misty, rain, cold. It wasn't like a warm spring night. I can tell you right, that. Right. And so we we stood in line and we got six tickets. For the life of me, you're talking about Fuzzy. I can remember four of the people, and two of them have passed away. Mm. But we got the tickets. Then we went to underground Atlanta. And, you know, college guys, underground was a happening place back then. I'm surprised we made it back to the game, but we did on time. But we did. And I'll never forget when he hit that home run off Al Downing. He used to be a Yankee pitcher. He was a left-hander. And when Hank hit that home run, the place went crazy. I never, even from where I was in the outfield and left center field, that's where the ball went, but I was up much higher. But, uh, we were going so crazy, crazy about what had happened. I didn't notice anybody ran around the bases at then, but the guy sitting next to me who drove us, I think he had the newest car is the reason that he drove us. He looked at me when I was literally standing in my seat screaming. And he asked me and had to yell for me to hear him, what happened? I said, Hank Aaron just broke Babe Ruth's record. Then it dawned on me that he probably, uh, he he was only there to drive. He, he didn't, he wasn't a baseball fan at all. But, uh, wow, it was one of the greatest sporting events ever. So, you guys ran around the bases, kind of on a whim, ran around the bases, and Hank Aaron, you had no idea that you would be in the Hall of Fame one day. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, when you're 17 years old, your your forethought, you know, uh, is not superior, and we really? we just didn't think it through. And we we actually, when people say we ran around the bases, here's what we did: we jumped over, and there was a big tarp because I think they had unrolled a tarp. Yeah. And being young, we we could jump over that, and there were police stationed around, but they they were not a. Um, I'm not saying I was a, a 4:240 runner, but you know, I was a lot faster than these guys, and. We met up with Hank just before second base and then after he rounded second base, then we split off because we had no intention of, we didn't really think where we were going. So we, we made it over to um, on the left side of the field and Britt got up in the stand somehow and ran and then made a left turn and ran right into a cop. And I had my hands on the rail and people were moving out so they could help me get up. And I got caught by the, my belt on the back of my pants and pulled down by, uh, security.
0: And so the, the other thing that's interesting. What was going on there is of course, I remember it vaguely. You probably remember it vaguely, but we had no idea that Hank Aaron was getting all this hate mail from all the people that didn't want this black man to break Babe Ruth's record. And yeah. we were kind of oblivious to that. We were Hank Aaron fans. We wanted him to win. I guess there were a few people doing that, but we, and I, in fact, I know it was in, in today's world. With that going on, would you guys have wondered you didn't you would have gotten shot by running out there, right?
1: Well, we could have been shot that night, as it turns out. But we, I think, we were aware um, vaguely of of negativity, and and as you just put it, we 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 were Hank Aaron fans. I mean, Braves fans, and all of that. So it, it really, I hate to use the expression colorblind, but that's kind of what it was. Wow. It, it wasn't a black white thing. It was uh, it was an incredible performance, and in a and a. a, a a a one in a zillion uh athlete you know yeah same
0: same with me i I was watching my idol who i when they moved to atlanta in 1966 he was unbelievable baseball player he could he, he did they call him five twos he could run fast he could throw he could hit for average hit for power he could do it all steel bases he was something well, that, yeah, thats the I, thing. I didn't
1: care what color he was. He was just great. We'll talk about was. hammering Hank and slamming and all of that. But yeah, that's a, that's a really important point to me. And I think a lot of baseball people know this, that uh, he was just an incredible athlete. And he, you know, I guess a comparison would be like they talk about Jack Nicholson, his 18 majors. Well, how many times did he come in second? Oh, yeah. You know, so he was he was incredible. So it, so it was that way with Hank when you look at. Rbis and you know all the other stats that that are kept. He was he was an amazing performer and an amazing fielder, right? So uh, so you
0: guys, Britt, got up in the stands, and you were caught before you got in the stands. Somebody grabbed your belt, so I assume you guys got thrown in the tank somewhere, right?
1: Well, they, what happened is we, I stood, I didn't know what happened to Britt, but I stood by the, the side and we, and I told him, I said, look, I'm not going anywhere. You know, it's cool. And then there were fireworks. And I remember the explosion of sound was deafening and the fireworks, it was a surreal experience. And I just thought, what the heck have we done? So they took us to a little holding tank, a little, I guess, a precinct in the stadium Right. Um, and there were other people down there, apparently earlier in the game in left field, some guys that were drunk, um, jumped out from the field and they took them off. Well, they kind of pushed us together. And one of the guys was very getting mouthy and cursing the cops and being uh, a real problem. And I turned to a, a, a policeman next to me. I said, I want to be clear. We're not with these guys. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they transported us and it was not by limousine. <laughs> Uh, to the downtown lockup in, um, in Atlanta, which uh, for those of you visiting Atlanta, looking for accommodations, I don't recommend it. Um, it was not even. a pleasant place. Um, it was, um, I guess they would call it a drunk tank. And there were uh, all kinds of unusual folks there. Uh, there was a dark area down this hallway in the back where they had steel slat cots with people in various stages of consciousness uh, in repose. And there was a large man at one point um, in the open section that had a telephone and you know, bars and all that. He announced he was going to kill us and other people. And How, how long um, were you in there? Well, we were in there for several hours. And the police didn't seem to be concerned that this guy was um, acting up. And, of course, we were very concerned for our safety. But Britt's dad actually uh, bailed us out. I don't remember the time, but it was early 30. It must have been three or four in the morning, maybe.
0: I would assume he was not a happy camper, right?
1: That would be correct. It, his sense of humor w- was left at wherever he was staying, um, and rightfully so. So we, I, the rest is a blur to me. Although we were uh, required to show up in front of a judge at about 8.30 in the morning, I believe, or 9 or something like that. I forget what time.
0: So were you ever charged with anything? Did, did they drop yeah, it? Th- I,
1: I, if I remember correctly, the wording was... Um, Unlawfully interfering with the occupation of another right or or something like that, it could have been uh idiocy, public idiocy right did you have to pay a fine? Do you remember or you just yeah, there it? was some sort of fine, and there was a a one point where uh I think Britt had watched too many lawyer shows on t v and he wanted to say something to the judge about well, we weren't aware of the ordinances and all and I remember the judge pulling his readers off of his nose and looking at him, and I grabbed him I said, the <laughs> you know, shut up brit, brit was a character right? there's no question about that i remember him
0: as well i think uh, his dad
1: would have pinched his head off if he'd had the reach um <laughs> so we ended up he told us if we kept our nose clean and you know for six months or whatever it was this thing would all go away which it did there was a rumor that hank personally intervened on our behalf and um it, to the best of my knowledge that is not the case
0: But you did meet him later, so tell us how that came about. He he was very nice to you guys, and I know. Just tell us a little bit about what happened with Hank after that. Before I
1: get into that, I'd like to mention too that my mother and father were at home watching the game on black and white television, and when he hit the home run, my mother, being a mother, uh, immediately that's Cliff and that's (laughs) and and so they had a Polaroid camera and took a picture of the screen, which I think I have somewhere. Uh, So it's amazing that they would um, on this little television would have recognized just, but I guess that's a mother, right?
0: So, so your mother was looking at a black and white, your parents were looking at black and white TV and realized that was you. I was in the stands. I was going so crazy. I didn't even realize anybody ran on the field. I knew a lot of people ran on the field, you know, to congratulate
1: him, but it was pandemonium. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. It was, it It, was unbelievable. I'll never forget it as long as I live. It was unbelievable. People ask
1: us what was Hank like and, and, and he seemed like he was pushing you away or something. He was actually, his arms were going left and right. And we got just tangled up a little bit. We we patted him on the back and said, way to go. And, you know, and all something like that. But my recollection is he was kind of in a zone, almost. I can't even wrap my head around the amount of pressure on on him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the oppressive weight of the historic moment, the racial overtones, the threats, I mean, to be able to perform at that level anyways under the best of circumstances is amazing, but under the circumstances um, that he was in, it was, it was um, inhuman, but he, he seemed to be kind of zoned out and I guess maybe he was concentrating on touching the bases. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> hey, you missed second base. Oh you know? god. Yeah. But
0: that's, anyways,
1: that's... Um, we did hook up. I was in school in Memphis and in 1984, the 10 year reunion, I got a call about coming for the, you know, that they're going to have a reenactment and all that sort of thing and i was embroiled in studies and clinic obligations and things i just couldn't get out of um so i had to pass on that and then night in 1994 there was a 20-year anniversary and i'm a little bit fuzzy on what happened there but uh i can remember If to go forward um it, it seemed like 1995 maybe got a call from a guy named uh, mike tolan and by this time i had moved from my wife and i had moved from arizona to Valdosta. mike tolls is a, a california a writer director and he got a contract to do to do a movie called um hank air and chasing the dream under turner right so he asked me if i'd agree to be interviewed for the movie and again i was busy i can't just drop what i'm doing i've got obligations but i had a meeting in atlanta for some of our professional association business downtown at a a law office. And he said, well, we're going to be filming downtown during that like two week period. Can I send a car to come get you? I said, sure. So I made arrangements, drove me down to um, Turner. They said, he told me Britt had already agreed to do it and they were getting him in from South Carolina. So we got there and then Hank was there, although we didn't see him and they had media there. And I think they wanted to throw us in like, you know, fighting dogs to see what would happen when they we saw each other, and once we did, Hank to to that first time, and every time after that was as gracious and kind as he could possibly be. Much uh-huh. to my surprise, he had no reason to be nice to even acknowledge our existence. But uh-huh. I think it speaks to the man that he, as I like to put it, he, he, he walked the walk. You know, he he um, uh-huh. he just was that kind of guy. And we filmed for about, I think, 45 minutes or an hour. Um, you know how they do in movies, they cut it up and, you know, all right. put everything together. Uh, but we took a lot of pictures. Uh, we had a good time, a lot of laughs. And later on, there was a, um, the film premiered in Atlanta and I took my sister as my date and Ted and Jane and all these dignitaries and, you know, and mayors and all these people were there. And it got to a point in the film where there was some serious stuff going on. And then it was followed by a point where I, I forget who it was, Britt or I were, were thanking the guard for not pulling his pistol out and shooting us and, and complimenting him on a superior judgment. And the place blew up in laughter. And later Mike Tolan came to me and said, you son of a, you got the biggest laugh of all. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. And I said, Mike, talk to my people. And He just shook his head.
0: <laughs> it's, it's an unbelievable story. And so you, you were able to, to meet him several times. I actually, uh talked to his personal assistant who worked for him for years. Her name is Carla Kaplan. And she actually, her mother grew up in Reynolds, Georgia, beginning to tell me her relationship with Hank Aaron and he was still living then. But she remembers you guys. She remembers being at something and meeting you guys and what, you know, great guys you were. She certainly there was no animosity between Hank Aaron and his team towards you guys. I, I think that uh it's a it's a moment in history that happened and it turned out well, it could have been ugly, but it turned out unbelievably well. That's was, was a great story. I mean,
1: better than it should have. And we, we certainly, um, we realized the morning after when we saw the newspapers, we were, we were really feeling kind of bad and embarrassed by it because we, we realized that we were interlopers. We inserted ourselves into his moment and we had no right to do that. We just weren't thinking with, um, uh, brains. And it just blew up bigger than we ever considered. My my recollection um, is the the person that I knew that was closest to to Hank was Susan Bailey, um, who we've communicated. In fact, I've communicated with her at various times, including after Hank's passing, uh, and she's always been very very nice. But the times we spent with with Hank, he was he's always just down to earth, smiling, gracious, kind. Um, in fact, in in two thousand 10, uh, we got together. And this is a report on ESPN, and I'll read it to you. A quote It's you're talking, Aaron talking about us. It's wonderful to see them. I often get asked, whatever happened to those two guys? It's nice to see them once again and know that they're doing fine, doing well. The older you get, the more you think about it. I'm just glad things worked out the way they did. It could have been a lot worse. They were having fun with it as kids, they didn't get beat up and all of that. I think. They spent two or three hours in jail. Other than that, it was a happy moment. And this is a quote from Hank Aaron. The greatest boss, arguably the greatest
0: baseball player of all time. You you told me, I think, that you've never been to Cooperstown to the Hall of Fame, right?
1: I've seen a lot of it uh, virtually from people sending me photos of exactly the wall you're talking about, standing next to it.
0: Well, there's also, when I remember going in as a big kiosk, obviously Hank Aaron stuff's all in there. As a big kiosk, and it's a big video of him hitting the home run. And you guys are running around the bases. I was I've been there several times. I had businesses in Aniana, which was close to Cooperstown. So I was in and out of there, but I was blown away. I was telling the guy, I know these guys. He said, You're lying. You I promise you. I was there. I know these guys. I I was thinking that I already knew you. Uh, but in reality, I really got to know you after that. I couldn't, you know, it's just, it gets fuzzy. You're the last man standing here. You Hank died last year. Britt died several years ago. Let's talk about Britt. He was, I know he was a character. If I had to guess, he was probably the instigator and he talked you into going out there. I may be wrong, (laughs) but he was a character. He was a great guy. Talk a little bit about him.
1: Yeah. Britt is, um, some would say kind of full of himself which which was true but he was also you know a charismatic character um and like we all do we have our pros and cons and um and that sort of thing and he was no different but for some reason he and I just uh clicked when we first met and uh we played you know sports together and did did all kinds of things but he he was um a fellow who I don't think he worked very hard academically, but he was, uh, was very bright. There's no right. question about that. He was uh, a political person um, and was plugged into uh, con- especially conservative politics. He was very active in Athens and enjoyed himself immensely. And I'll leave it at that.
0: <laughs> As many uh, of us did. Yeah. yeah he,
1: he was, uh, well, except for me, I walked the straight and narrow path. my right. right. like right. I'm sure. Right. Yes. Thanks for that. But he was a Kappa Alpha. And, uh, when we, we both went to Mercer university the first year and pl- pledged Kappa Alpha. And I backed out because we both were talking as a lot of people in my freshman class did talked about transferring. Um, so coming from a very small high school, I felt like going to a big school would be maybe too much, which is why we both ended up at Mercer, which is another crazy story. But, um, we ended up in Athens and, um, I had backed out of the cap alpha because I knew Doug and I didn't know what I wanted to do or even be in a fraternity, um, in Athens. But he, I, if I remember correctly, he maybe spent a little more time than I did in Athens. He, he, he had a number of extracurricular activities. And,
0: uh, and I'm sure you guys had conversations over the years after that, when you see yourself
1: on TV, I'm sure you, uh, well, still communicated. What happened in the following uh, many years is we were hounded by media. I,
0: I was going um, to ask you
1: that. Yeah. But we, uh, it got to the point where I would just turn over the the phone to my wife because sometimes these sports shows, they would call from the West coast and we we're on the East coast, you know, and, and right. the time difference. And they'd, Hey, this is so-and-so and so and so We want to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and I got to the point where everything that, had been said that needed to have been said was said and I just didn't want to talk about it and I didn't want to appear as though I and I'm sure Britt felt the same way well no he felt the same way uh to to be um capitalizing or or in any way um promoting ourselves as individuals on this which was totally about Hank Aaron and uh we never did monetize or attempt to monetize or do anything and Hank knew that he knew that we were respectful and, um, and contrite to a certain extent about, about the whole thing. And, um, but he was so nice that it just didn't feel, you know, negative, but I understand how people would feel that way. And in fact, I was at a function, this happened more than once, but there were some of my friends that knew this would always try to play jokes on me. And I was at a function and one of my friends was, well, you remember those guys da, 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 da. and and the fellow said something about, yeah, those ass <laughs> And he said, "Turn around," and, and, and then he turned around. Oh, it's great to meet you. You know what? Well, I, <laughs> well,
0: I can promise you one thing: I'm 67, and I look back on that and just smile. You were—it was an innocent thing. You guys ran around the bases. It the greatest sports thing. You in the Hall of Fame forever. You really, your your life was changed a little bit <laughs> forever after well, making a, a, a one little decision. But it it could have turned out bad, but it turned out great. It's a heck of a story.
1: Let me tell me. you about the last time I saw Hank um, in 2014. Uh, the 40-year reunion. Britt had passed away in 2011, so I was contacted, and, and again, I, I I just quit talking about this because I didn't want to talk about it anymore. Um, but I got contacted about going up to Atlanta for that, and there was going to be a big uh, celebration. A lot of the folks uh, uh, peripheral to this uh, were going to be there, and. So I went and Hank had slipped and broken his hip and he ended up with a partial hip replacement and he was kind of using a walker to get around. I don't think he was very happy about that because you know he he wanted to you know walk around. So I went with my wife Lynn. We went to the they had a skybox at the stadium and some people met us there some handlers and we were taken there and uh, we got separated. At one point they said well you come with us. They took her and then they took me and I was in a golf cart down below in the bowels of the stadium going one direction. And then who comes against in the opposite direction, it was Hank being driven. And I remember he had his leg kind of hanging out sideways. And so we both stopped carts and, and, you know, greeted and talked a little bit. And so he was going one way, I was going the other. So we ended up in the skybox with some other people and they were going to have a celebration and interviews and all this stuff at home plate. Well, it turns out that Dusty Baker, they had not seen or heard from him. And he was supposed to be there to do part of the interview. And, and all of a sudden I was approached by the quote unquote people. I said, look, if Dusty doesn't make it in time, will you do the interview? Oh, I said, uh, me, uh, 40th anniversary, home plate, crowd, media. Are you sure that's a good idea? And so they convinced me. So off we go from the skybox going down and then who do we run into? Uh, a running Dusty Baker who, who made it in the nick of time. So we all went down together to the dugout uh, where they brought the actual bat and ball and, and people did interviews. And and I did, I got to watch, so I didn't have to sit there and, um, you know, be glad I wore brown pants. Um, But I got, it was fun because I got to meet people I hadn't met before Tom house and his wife. We, we talked for a long time, Al Downing and I talked about everything but baseball, Uh, Dusty Baker. And, at one point, I was standing uh, at a table where, where Hank was sitting, a long table, and I, I just happened to look to my right. And my wife was talking to a Sports Illustrated photographer, and they kind of, he kind of lined up the lens in my direction. So I kind of looked, and then I, and I looked to my left, just glanced, and there was Holyfield. <laughs> and he was still extremely intimidating. So um, I, I kept my distance, but we gave um, we took pictures and gave Hank this cake that depicted uh, two hands holding a bat, and he was very kind as usual. And Billy was there, his wife, um, and there were there were a lot of great memories. Uh, they even had at one point they were introducing all the people connected to this. We they took us outside of the box and sat us in the um, the the seats outside. You know, they'd watch the game from. And pushed me out. I'm like, what? Am, I don't belong here. What am I doing here? Um, it just felt a little odd, and especially felt odd, you know, without Britt. Uh, to wrap that thought up, the the idea of me being here as the so-called, as you put it, the last man standing, does feel odd. Um, and I haven't talked about this because I've, I'm kind of done with it. But you know, you're an old friend, and and I wanted to. Uh, I actually, when after you approached me about this, I started thinking, you know, this does bring back a lot of memories. And maybe it's a good time to revisit that and, and just uh, think about it again. So I appreciate you uh, asking me.
0: Well, listen, I appreciate you you doing it. You're doing us a favor. Did you end up in Sports Illustrated? I'm sure your pictures have been in a lot of magazines. It's, right? it's
1: all over the place. I've gotten so many, so many requests to do this and that and sign this and sign that. I quit signing a long time ago. Speaking of signing, Britt and I in 2010, I believe, we were sitting in Turner Field in Hank's office over left field, just the three of us. And we had met and done an interview. And I, you can find these these interviews uh, online. The three of us were uh, at a table being interviewed about about that time. We went to his office and we signed balls for his foundation because they, they would auction them off. And I can remember laughing and talking and like, Hank, okay, what's the trick to signing a baseball? Because uh, <laughs> Britt and I were not known for our- uh, He had signed a few, balls. I can tell you that. <laughs> So, so it was, it was kind of weird uh, to do that. And we were happy to, to help out and he was very gracious as always. And my wife and my sons came in and pictures and all that sort of stuff and just could not have been nicer. And I'll always appreciate that you know, for the kindness that he showed us without any reason to actually be that way. It was just the way he was. I, I think it's just one of those things that happened. And as Hank has put it, it's, um, you know you can you can spend this any way you want to, and he's chosen to 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 behave the way he behaved and talk about it the way he talked about it, and I think that's something that everyone can can learn from. You know you uh-huh. you have a choice how how you look at it, and we were kind of sheepish and embarrassed, and he was uh, very kind and had nice things to say, and and you can turn something that could potentially be negative to a positive. So. And that's a great life lesson. And no matter
0: which, uh, what you're in, right. You can take any circumstances and make it positive. And he did the right thing. And wow, what a story, what a yeah, story, I,
1: I, that's just, uh, I think it, it is a life lesson and, you know, I've heard all kinds of comments about him, about he's, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread or he's, you know, wears his race on a sleeve and all of that. But I, I, I just think he was, he was a humble person from humble beginnings who had exceptional ability but but there are people who have exceptional ability, but they don't have the brain to go with it. And right. just as a human being, it's one of those magical matchups of someone's personal, personality and character with their physical ability. And that's a pretty rare thing. Well, I can tell you as a baseball fan, I really am
0: not just a Braves fan, a baseball fan. It was absolutely incredible that I, happened to know the guys that ran around the bases with hank Aaron, and it's more incredible now 50 years later almost to talk to you about i'd like
1: that. to read i'd like to read one thing that Please i do. have not talked about this um at all i haven't made any comments but when hank passed i felt an obligation to say something it, it, again it's all about hank it's not about us at all so i, I did make a post on facebook And it's entitled to Henry Lewis Aaron, January 22nd, 2021. And it goes like this. It is no small irony that your passing occurs at this troubled time when so many could benefit from examining your life. The negativity, hypocrisy, dishonesty, and petty divisiveness that exist today stand in stark contrast to your example of personal integrity and quiet dignity. Accomplishment, despite adversity and grace under pressure, you walk the walk. Today, I will be thinking of you. I hope everyone else will, too. Maybe we can all do a little better. Thanks for being nice to me, Hank. No, Mr. Aaron. Wow.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Cliff, thank you, my friend, very much. What a story. Hey, it's good. And, you know, another collateral, they talk about collateral damage and collateral benefit out of this is we got to reconnect, didn't we? Oh, my gosh.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's my whole thing. I haven't talked to you in like, years. You've done me a huge favor. Thank you, my friend.
1: Hey, good to talk to you. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Viewing
0: life from a hearse, it could be worse. Laugh, think, and cry with the country undertaker.